Huckabee is brought to you in part by Trivita.com, helping you experience greater wellness. Tonight on Huckabee, Bernard Carrick on targeting crime, not color. If black lives really matter, they should be walking the streets of Chicago day in and day out. Dinesh D'Souza on how to stop socialism. We're dealing with a much broader cultural, I would say even moral and spiritual agenda. And Bluegrass Kings Daly and Vincent join us. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Pilbert. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. And welcome to our show this week. We are so happy to have you. And by the way, in a couple of weeks, we are going to be back with an audience in our theater, and we can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the only news that you have heard this week is bad news about armed Antifa terrorists taking over six blocks of Seattle with the local government standing around with their hands in their pockets. Or the disgusting video of some classless hooligans reenacting the death of George Floyd by having a guy standing on the neck of another as the funeral procession passed by. Or the sheer stupid stuff, such as HBO not airing Gone with the Wind anymore because it depicted a dark time in our history when the scourge of slavery still existed. Or taking the children's TV show Paw Patrol off because one of the dogs was a police dog. But getting less attention is a powerful story of a young white man in, of all places, Selma, Alabama, who was randomly targeted as he was out for a run and shot by a black man. As the young white man was taken into the emergency room, he told the medical staff that he hoped that his being shot would not lead to more violence or hate and that he was praying for the person who shot him to find forgiveness and God's grace. That young husband and father, who I talked to on the phone Wednesday night as he recovered in a Birmingham hospital awaiting another surgery to heal his wounds, showed that The battle in America right now isn't political, economic, or even racial. It's spiritual. There's even more to the story to reveal that God was working in the midst of an evil satanic attack. Two men happened to be near. Each arrived shortly after the shooting and hurried to assist the victim. One of the men was white and had been given a tourniquet just three days before from a friend who told him he ought to keep it in his truck just in case he ever needed it. At the time, he thought it was a pretty strange gift. Three days later, his having it saved a man's life. The hero who actually applied the tourniquet was a black man. He held the victims in his arms on the ground and then continued to hold him in an SUV and said scripture over him as they raced to the hospital. The black man was covered in the blood of the white victim, but race was not a factor in his compassion. And as the story became known, Selma did not erupt in violence or riots as it had in the 1960s. It erupted in prayer and forgiveness. It was not led by a politician or an activist but by a man in his 30s who ironically is adopting a non-white child. He told his own children that the man who shot him was not a bad man, but a man who God loves who just did a bad thing. 
His family actually reached out to the family of the man who fired the shots just to affirm God's love and forgiveness. It reminds me of what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, when a crazed white man went to the historic Emanuel AME Church on prayer meeting night. And after being graciously asked to be part of the gathering, he took out a gun and murdered nine black people in cold blood as they were in the act of praying for him. Yet riots, mobs, or mass violent demonstrations didn't materialize in Charleston because the people of that church and even the families of those slain said they didn't want violence. They wanted forgiveness and reconciliation. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, who lives in Charleston, was on our show to discuss how God intervened to help heal the community. In addition, a daughter of one of the black murder victims was also on our show, you may remember. And she described how she came to forgive the evil white man who shot and killed her father. I've got to be honest, I sat in awe of her as she spoke of God's grace in her own life. Neither of those stories from Charleston or Selma led to hate-filled mobs, burning businesses, looting stores, or even increased violence. They led to godly people leading their communities to ask God to intervene with grace and forgiveness. And the solution wasn't a racial realignment or social justice or economic intervention or even political change. It was divine intervention from which healing came from her. I've not shared the young man's name from Selma out of respect for his family and his privacy, but I do have permission to tell his story and to urge people to not be angry or bitter, but to love, forgive, and exemplify the love of Christ. So if America survives these difficult days, it's likely not going to be because of the familiar faces of famous people who lead, but rather because loving, godly people whose names and faces are not familiar to most of us, let us by example. Like a black man in Selma who comforted a white man shot by another black man. And we should all surrender to being that kind of Christian who didn't care about the color of skin, but recognized that the color of blood is the same, whether we're white or black. My first guest tonight led the largest police department in the world as the 40th commissioner of the New York Police Department. As calls from the far left grow louder to defund police departments across the country, the commissioner says we already know what the results would be, and they're not pretty. Please welcome former New York Police Department Commissioner Bernard Carrick. Bernie, thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been a crazy week we've seen in Seattle a group of what the president deems terrorist Antifa taking over six city blocks and saying that it's an autonomous zone. I can't imagine that's something that would have happened on your watch in New York City with some people taking over a big portion of a major city. No, uh, I, I can tell you, Governor, uh, no, that wouldn't have happened uh, for two reasons. One, I wouldn't have let it, uh, but more importantly, had I even considered it, I would have been out of, out of a job because Rudy Giuliani would have fired me. Uh, I must say that I'm, I'm absolutely stunned at what has happened in Seattle. 
Um, and I think that the president is 100 percent right in calling these people terrorists. Um, you know, these are Marxists, anarchists um, that believe in communism, uh, that despise uh, the Constitution, despise this government. They replicate what we knew back in the 60s, 70s and early 80s, um, the Black Liberation Army, uh, the Black Panther Party, the Weather Underground, the uh, the the. You know, groups like that, uh, Marxist groups, that's what these are. But this is this is worse uh, today because they have better communications. They have a funding mechanism that is unbelievable. Um, I mean, think about it. Not only Seattle, these guys have hit 42 states, maybe 70, 75 cities throughout the states. This is this could have cost tens of millions, maybe a hundred million dollars. For these riots to uh, to go on, somebody's funding it. Well, who's Who is doing that? that? So, uh, where, where well, is this coming from? Do I, we have, I have idea? my. Well, I, ha I have uh, I have some ideas, but I think I'll let that uh, I'll let the investigators do their thing. I'm, I'm glad the uh, the president called for the attorney general to conduct an investigation to look into it, and I know that all 56 of the joint terrorist task forces around the United States have been put on notice to begin inquiries and investigations into what happened in their individual states. So it's uh, I'm sure the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security will get to the bottom of it. Uh, the mayor of New York, uh, Bill de Blasio, has also sort of joined the chorus of saying, well, we're going to cut the budget of the police department. His wife said that it would be utopia if we could completely get rid of the police department. I'm stunned that a person elected to be the mayor of uh, one of the most important cities in the world and his wife think that the police is basically uh, an intrusion, unnecessary. I mean, the, what a contrast between when Rudy Giuliani was the mayor, you were the police commissioner, Crime actually went down. Murder went down. It was a safer city to be in because of guys like you. Well, keep in mind, Governor, from 1994 when Giuliani came in until 2002, um, we reduced overall violent crime by 63% and homicide by 70. And in many of the black communities, those numbers were even higher. The murder rates dropped by some 80 to 85%. Uh, the biggest benefactors to those reductions was the black communities. Um, and that those numbers maintained until de Blasio came into office. But nobody should be surprised by his, uh, his take on what's going on. He is a radical leftist. Um, this is a guy that supports these anarchists. This is a guy that went on his honeymoon to Cuba. Um, the, he is the most radical of radical left in politics today. So nobody should be surprised. What they should be surprised about is that he was absolutely absent um, during the course of the riots. The city was burnt uh, to the ground in many cases, buildings demolished. Um, he did nothing. And then the governor, uh, Governor Cuomo, he did nothing as well, uh, with the exception of sitting in Albany, complaining about de Blasio, complaining that he wasn't doing the right job, but he did nothing as well. So. It's, uh, it's, it's a weird time to live in New York, I'd say. You mentioned uh, that the murder rate, the crime rate overall, went back, uh, down dramatically in the black community during the time that uh, you were police commissioner. So, so two questions on that. One, what did you do that caused it to go down? How was that possible so dramatically? And secondly, 
didn't the black community actually appreciate the police department for cleaning up uh, areas of the city rather than say, we wish you guys would disappear? Well, yeah, well, of course. I mean, uh, look, you have to go back in, in time, uh, you know, and I think, Governor, you know something, that's an interesting question because a lot of what's going on today, I think people don't remember what New York City was like back then. I they do. don't remember what it was like to, <laughs> to be scared to death to walk into New York City, to, to walk around, to try to go to a restaurant, people getting robbed left and right. They forget those days. But at the end of the day, we went into the communities not based on race, not looking for black targets. We had big maps. And on those maps, we pin mapped all the violent crime, all the murder. And that's where we went looking for the bad guys. And if that happened to be a black community, so be it. But at the end of the day, our arrest numbers were extremely high. Confrontations at times were high. But at the end of the day, you have to look at the results. And like I said, the biggest benefactors of those reductions, the most lives saved during those times were black lives. So when you see cities today like Chicago, Baltimore, St. Louis, uh, uh, Minneapolis, this is systemic slaughter of black lives in those communities and nobody's saying a word about it. That, that's what makes me insane. Nobody is saying anything about it, when in fact, that is systemic stuff. That is systemic murder. Every last, last month, 175 people were shot in Chicago. In St. Louis, I think 18 people killed over 24 hours. These are numbers they don't have in Baghdad, for God's sakes. It's terrible, and nobody's doing anything about it. If black lives really mattered, and that organization was all about black lives, they should be walking the streets of Chicago day in and day out until those numbers came down. The cop in Minneapolis that, uh, let's be honest here, he murdered George Floyd. I mean, everybody, I think, universally agrees with that. He had had right. 17 different uh, department violations, but he never got fired. I mean, clearly there are things that need to be reformed in certain police agencies. What could have been done differently? What should be done going forward that could be what we all could say, hey, those are reforms that everybody should be able to embrace? Well, I think one of the things, as you pointed out, was the number of complaints he had. When somebody has that many complaints, look, there are cops out there, there's very aggressive cops. I remember a cop in the 6-7 precinct in Brooklyn one time. He had a number of civilian complaints that I wanted to take a look at him. But when I did, he actually had 250 medals. Hmm. He had taken hundreds of guns off the streets of New York City. So naturally, he's going to have complaints. But when a guy like this has 18 different civilian complaints, you have to have flagging mechanisms within the department that's going to highlight that guy every time he has one. And somebody's going to have to go in and really look at it. These are some things departments can do. But I got to be honest, they should have been doing it already. Minneapolis should have been doing this already. It's, you know, this is nothing new. This isn't something new. They should have been doing this. Um, but obviously they weren't. Uh, and other departments should follow suit. I, I want to get to something that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that's the morale of the police. I, I can't imagine how frustrating uh, it must be to be a police officer in America right now with so many people blaming police for everything going wrong 
and the overwhelming majority of police officers are good and decent people. They got families, they care deeply about their communities. How do we address uh, building the spirits of the good cops uh, and, and putting the morale back into their hearts? You know, uh, the, I think the only the only thing keeping morale up today within the police department, and I only say this, I, I didn't think of this yesterday. I actually thought of it today because today the president was speaking in Dallas. And when he was talking in Dallas, I, uh, I must have got 50 text messages from different cops that I know, you know, talking about the support the president has for the men and women in law enforcement, um, you know. That's one thing that is helping with morale. But, you know, any any leader, any political leader, you were the governor of a state, you know it's extremely important to make sure that you motivate and inspire the men and women that work for you, that they have your support, that you they're going to have the benefit of the doubt if something goes wrong, unless it's criminal, unless it's administratively wrong, well, they should get the benefit of the doubt because they go out there every day and put their lives on the line for people they don't even know. They don't care what color they are. They don't care what religion they are. Um, I think I think our political leaders, they have to take a step back and remember what these men and women do and why and how. Um, they're underpaid. They're underappreciated. Um, and and uh, times like this, it's pretty hard to keep morale up. I have a feeling there are a lot of people in a lot of cities that wish you were the police commissioner of their community right now. Uh, delighted to have you thank here. You, Bernie, Governor. thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, sir. You can follow the commissioner on Twitter at Bernard Carrick. It's on your screen. Also, check out Bernie's books, including his latest novel. It's called The Grave Above the Grave. You can get that anywhere books are sold. And I hope you will. This is a man with something to say that we need to be hearing. Well, Keith Bilbrey, our erstwhile announcer, has the scoop on the rest of tonight's show. He's going to give it to you right now. So, Keith, take it away. Well, tonight, Dinesh D'Souza works to stop socialism, and Mike finds the funny in the news. Later, Grammy winner Bill Gaither is here, plus Bluegrass Star's Daily and Vincent. It's all on Huckabee. Next week, Rabbi David Wolf on Why Faith Matters and country music star Craig Morgan performs. My next guest has spent years documenting the rise of the far left and its threat to the American way of life. He also worked in the Reagan White House. His latest book is a powerful book. It's called The United States of Socialism. Who's behind it? Why it's evil and how to stop it. Dinesh D'Souza. We're so glad to have you with us. I'm going to get right to it, Dinesh. This seems like that this whole socialist movement in America is organized and not organic. Is that a fair assessment? It is. It's organized uh, certainly at the retail level when you see these um, Antifa, Black Lives Matter thugs on the street. Uh, when they show up, someone has strategically placed a large box of bricks for them the previous night to smash windows with. So this is organized at that level. It's also organized at the funding level. It's organized at the level that when these guys get arrested, they immediately have lawyers who pop up like a jack-in-the-box to defend them. They have powerful allies in the media, 
in Hollywood. They have friends in high places in the office of Mayor de Blasio, the mayor of Portland, the mayor of Berkeley. So this is not just a street gang. It's a paramilitary operation that is, uh, in a sense, functioning with the consent and at least tacit approval of the Democratic Party. The title of your book is a little frightening, The United States of Socialism, because I think a lot of us would be just aghast that we're actually moving in that direction. But if we are, somebody's got to be paying for this. Who's behind it? Who, who, who's funding all of this stuff? Because, I mean, these kids who have nothing but a backpack and an iPhone, maybe they're trust fund babies, but it doesn't appear that they got the kind of dough to travel all over the world uh, creating mayhem. I think the big story is that socialism has migrated to the center of um, American politics and it's taken over one of the major political parties. Now, the Democratic Party strategically decided not to go with an explicit socialist like Bernie Sanders. I think it was a bit too much for them to have a guy who honeymoons in Moscow and praises breadlines. What's he'll do next? What will he do next? Praise gulags. So they decided, let's let's go with the rocking chair, uh, cre uh, creeping socialist Biden, uh, because he's he seems less threatening, and yet we can have puppeteers and ventriloquists, perhaps, who are actually organizing everything that he does. So socialism has never been in the mainstream of American politics before, and it's a stunning fact that that with the collapse of socialism around the world, uh, at the end of the last century, we have seen this unbelievable comeback of socialism in the 21st century. Dinesh, I think one of the powerful things you do uh, in writing United States of Socialism is to talk about how it, it sounds so good. Free college. We're going to take care of all your student debt. Free food. Free everything. It does sound appealing to a lot of people, but you also point out uh, there, there's a hidden agenda and it's fatal. Ultimately, I think it only works in the sense that a gangster operation works. Uh, it revolts the conscience of ordinary people. I'd put it this way. If you were to tell someone, listen, go over to your neighbor's house, uh, open his refrigerator and start eating his food, look around at his stuff and take whatever you want, uh, and move it over to your house, most people would go, well, that's terrible. I wouldn't think of doing that. And, and if I did, I would feel awful about myself. My conscience really won't allow that. So the Democratic Party steps in and basically says, listen, they say, first of all, the stuff that's in his refrigerator and his house actually belongs to you. He's been stealing from you uh, for centuries. And so uh, you, are, you are entitled to his stuff. But the good news is you don't have to go get it. We'll get it for you. And I think this is partly why guys like de Blasio can't condemn the looters on the street all too strongly. Why? Because they're basically doing the same thing. They want to do in an organized way what the looters are basically doing in a disorganized way. Dinesh, you may have just given this country the most distinct and maybe accurate depiction of what's going on with the whole socialist mentality. I've never heard it put so uh, freshly and uh, so very clearly. I, I hope that people get the book because I know the whole book is that clear and that simple for people to understand. I, I want to get to the point of the danger of socialism. This is not a just a different political ideology. Let's talk about why it matters that people are infiltrating the Demo Democrat Party with socialist ideas, why it would destroy America as we know it. Ultimately, socialism 
uh, comes in the package of economic uh, redistribution, but its real agenda is far bigger than that. In fact, if you go to a socialist conference today, a Democratic Socialist of America, you will see uh, these eco-socialists, Afro-socialists, Islamo-socialists. Now, the striking thing is that many of these people care more about blacks and illegals than they do about the working class. They care more about abortion than the minimum wage. They care more about transgender bathrooms than they care about universal basic income. In other words, we're not just dealing with economic confiscation. We're dealing with a much broader cultural, I would say even moral and spiritual agenda, and that is to overturn what has been considered normalcy in America. They want up to be down, they want the front to be the back. They want the deviant to be the normal. And the most important thing is they don't even just want to see a legal or even a cultural change. They want to see everybody bow down to it and submit to it. Uh, Orwell actually has a very poignant scene in 1984 where, where Big Brother, the, the state, the socialist state, is trying to force a man, Winston, to admit that two plus two is five. He refuses to do it. So they subject him to sensory deprivation, no food. And ultimately, he breaks down and he goes, OK, two plus two is five. Can I go now? And they go, no, Winston, you can't go because you're just saying it's five because you know that's what we want you to hear. Dinesh, uh, Democrats didn't used to be socialists. They weren't that different than Republicans. There were different ideologies and mindsets. But we're seeing a stark difference today. It's not, it's not minor. It's, it's significant. What happened when and who led this? What happened is that the Democratic Party uh, under Hillary and Obama became uh, gangsterized. Uh, I saw this uh, really in my own uh, campaign finance case, where they were threatening to put all kinds of additional charges on me if I didn't submit to them and basically plead guilty. Um, so what you have here is that, that the Democrats have realized that they can use the deep state, the police agencies of government, the IRS, the FBI, the DOJ, against political opponents. Now, notice that these deep state operations, this lawlessness at high levels, mirrors what Antifa is doing on the street. It's lawlessness in both cases, but in one case, it's thugs on the street. In the other case, it's thugs with badges, but it's thugs in both cases. So this, I think, is the number one problem facing us, the need to root out this corruption that has somehow made its way into the mainstream of one of the major political parties. Well, Dinesh, I hope people across America read your book. It is eye-opening. It's a little disturbing, quite frankly, but you document it, and I think that's a valuable service that you provide. Our thanks to Dinesh D'Souza for helping to sound a very crucial and important alarm against socialism. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, who is not a socialist, he's our announcer, and he's gonna tell our listeners how they can get the important new book by Dinesh D'Souza. Keith? The United States of Socialism is available now at Amazon and all major booksellers. You can also order it at DineshD'Souza.com. That's where you'll find all his books, movies, videos, and more. You can also book him to speak to your group. And on Twitter, follow him at Dinesh D'Souza. Next, get ready to laugh out loud on In Case You Missed It. And the godfather of gospel music, Bill Gaither. Plus, bluegrass superstars Daly and Vincent are coming up on Huckabee.
And welcome back. We are happy to have you. And we come back in with the music of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Hey, so many of you have had some great fun with our Meet Me on the Couch promotion, but probably no one had more fun than Beverly Sissom of Dalton, Georgia. Just look at these creative images that she made each week. It's truly amazing. Beverly, we want to say thank you for your enthusiasm. And good news, everyone. We're going to be welcoming audience members back into our studio, starting with our June 26th taping date. That show includes the incredible Sando Russian Acrobatic Trio from America's Got Talent. They're amazing. We're also going to have the newest winner of The Voice, Todd Tillman. He's going to be here performing as well. Now, we're going to have limited free cabaret seating, all socially distanced. We're going to be careful and all that stuff. But if you'd like to come, we sure would love to have you. Be sure to go to Huckabee.tv. Click on for free tickets on the free tickets button. We look forward. You have no idea how much we look forward to seeing you right here in the studio with us. Well, now from a roller coaster full of teddy bears to some unusual, and I mean really unusual, Father's Day gifts, we got the news that will make you winny with laughter on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. All right, we've all seen people with long fingernails, like these, for instance. But you may have never seen world record holder Lee Redmond's nails. Ms. Lee Redmond from Salt Lake City hadn't cut her nails in over 40 years, which means they added up to 340 total inches. Redmond said, I was known as the fingernail lady, but to me, I would have to explain to them there really is more to me. Well, Governor, you know, when my Aunt Tilly's son, John, was just five years old, he always chewed his nails. Mm. Aunt Tilly became so upset that she told John chewing his nails would make his tummy grow so big it would pop like a balloon. Boom! Well, my frightened cousin never chewed his nails again, but he did upset Aunt Tilly in another way. A few days after she scared him off chewing his nails, they were sitting in a park on a bench when a very pregnant lady sat down oh, next no. to him. Well, Johnny thought about what he had learned from his aunt, and he got up and walked over to the lady, smiled slyly, and said, well, I know what you've been doing. <laughs> I wow. bet he did. Uh, hey, Keith, I think we ought to be glad your cousin didn't go bad and grow up to be some hardened cuticle oh. from chewing those nails, right? Yeah. Mm. All right, back to our story. <laughs> While she looks back on her record-holding days with pride, she did say there were a lot of things that the 340 inches of total nails made very difficult. For instance, when people did inquire as to how she used the restroom, Redmond always had the same answer, carefully. Very carefully. <laughs> oh, I don't, e I don't want to no, think about it. don't go there. Don't go there. All right. With the coronavirus scare, theme parks are desperate to get people to come back for some fun. So the Dutch park Wallaby Holland made an irresistible promotional video for their roller coaster called Untamed. They strapped 22 large teddy bears in and they filmed them riding the coaster. <laughs> now, they didn't use real untamed bears because that would get, well, too grisly. <laughs> but with the wind and the G-forces whipping their arms and heads around, the teddy bears looked 
as if they were really getting into the ride. Oh, that's cute. I mean, it was a real Kodiak moment. Uh, <laughs> mm. Then they started screaming, and they really... They did, yeah. yeah. Well, luckily, it didn't scare the stuffing out of them, <laughs> although, personally, it would scare the poo out of me. You get that? Uh, See yeah. where I went there? The Winnie, the poo? I don't want to think about that either. Uh, okay. But I guess I'll just have to grin and bear it. Yes. Oh. Well, here is a new twist on fake news. Rodney and Julie Wheeler of Grandview, West Virginia, got arrested for allegedly faking Julie's death so she could avoid going to prison for health care fraud. She didn't want to take the fall, so she pretended to take a fall right over the main overlook at the New River Gorge. She was also rather terse. I guess you could say she was a condescending, con-descending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is, if it weren't all fake. Yeah. Finally tonight, Father's Day is just a week away, and we know that dads really don't want another tie or pair of socks. Nope. Hey, we got our Huckabee research team to dig deep to help you find those gifts that'll make you unforgettable to dear old dad. First up, how about a chest hair toupee? Yes. Yes, it's available for the body hair challenge, and you can even get it in back hair. Oh, I like it. Mm, really? Nice. Yeah. Hey, Keith, I got to find out what you've got on the recommendation list for our Father's Day gift. Well, Governor, I'm hoping for one, uh, get this great new vision, the pet butler. Pet butler. Yes. That's it's nice. about time our pets pull their weight and mingle with our guests while serving delicious treats. All right. Hey, Trey, what about you? Have you found anything uh, yeah. maybe that you're hoping for I'm for Father's really Day? I'm really hoping for this, Gov. This is a good one. It is an earwax candle kit. Ugh. I get my very own. It even comes with a wax extraction cap. Oh, that's disgusting. It is very disgusting. It's very usable. Well, hey, I've got a couple of suggestions uh. for Father's Day gifts that are near and dear to my heart. These are both designed by Teresa Freeman with her husband in mind. The first one is a wonderful, look at this, pepperoni bouquet. Ooh. Ah, I love this. Now it won't going. last long in a vase, but its beauty will be savored for a long time. Oh, and if you man. guys are nice to me, I might even share it with you. The second one is just so darn practical. I mean, we have to wear a mask, True. like to fly, go to grocery stores in certain places. But here's one. It's made out of bacon, like this one. That's really bacon. <laughs> that is bacon. That's great, isn't it? What do you Put think? Put the bacon over it. Ah, uh, yeah. All right, after the show, uh, Keith and Trey are going to join me for some bacon mask, and we will be getting into the pepperoni as well. Mm. Hey, you've only got a week to get that Father's Day gift that will never be forgotten, as these certainly won't. We hope we have inspired you to new heights. Now, until next time, always remember... We read the news. Don't go away. I know you probably may after all those gifts, but don't go away because we've got lots of show left and it only gets better from here. It has to, right? Hey, Keith, why don't you tell us who else we've got coming up tonight? We're obligated to get better. Come on. We've got gospel music legend Bill Gaither. Later, bluegrass stars Daly and Vincent. More Huckabee is on the way. In the book of James, Christians are given a bottom line truth. We're asked... 
Isn't it obvious that God talk without God action is outrageous nonsense? Now, I'm not going to judge anyone watching, but what I am going to say is that the Lord has given us a great opportunity to practice acts of giving in the name of God through Samaritan's Purse. I want to encourage you with all my heart, call them or visit their website. Reach out to someone who is hurting and do what Jesus tells us to do. Treat someone as we would want to be treated ourselves if we face their trouble or trauma. And I hope the Lord will bless you, and I know he will, in return for your kindness through your gifts to Samaritan's Purse. Well, my next guest is a Grammy-winning legend of gospel music, but he's got a new title on his resume, as if he needs one. He's now going to be known as a podcast host. More than the music features top scars of gospel and country music, pro sports, and a whole lot more. I am delighted to welcome back to our show the host of More Than the Music, Bill Gaither. Hey, Bill, so you didn't have enough to do? <laughs> you know what? I couldn't even spell podcasts about two years ago. <laughs> Until uh, our folks from the company said, Bill, you collect the strangest characters all over the world, and you talk to them, and I, I keep in touch with my friends. And uh, all you got to do is we'll plug in a microphone, and you can do that, and we call that a podcast. So that's what I'm doing. That is awesome. Now, I've been looking at some of the guests that you've got coming up. It's quite an arrangement of people from all walks of life. So it's not just gospel music people. Who all have you got coming up in the uh, episodes that, that are just around the corner. So I've got people like Paul Westfall, people like Larry Gatlin. Mort Krim was a newsman on ABC for many years. He was co-anchor with Jessica Savage. John Pistol is the president of Anderson University, who used to be uh, number two in the FBI. Carl Erskine. Do you know that name? Are you old enough, Mike, to know that name? Hal Erskine, the name, but I'm, I'm trying to remember, what, what's the connection? Carl Pitched for the Brooklyn Dodgers back in the 50s. He uh -huh. won two or three World Series. He's from our little area here in Indiana, uh -huh. Anderson, Indiana. Okay. He married his, this is what I love. He married his high school sweetheart, had four children. One of them was a Down syndrome uh, a boy, mm. Jimmy. Jimmy is still alive. He just had his 60th birthday. Now here is a man who's experienced the world's big stage. But the greatest accomplishment that he did was not the fact that he won World Series. The fact that when he had Jimmy, this fourth child, he told Betty, his high school sweetheart, to whom he has been married for 68 years, but he told her back in the 60s when it happened, we need to go home to Anderson. We need to raise Jimmy. And they have done it. Wow. And they have done it with class. He became... Huh. He got in business, became a bank president. He's, I mean, these are wonderful, wonderful friends to have. You know, Bill, the thing that I think everybody knows about you, number one, you've got more friends. You don't have any enemies. All you've got is friends. I can't say that about myself. And it's going to be an endless supply of people that you can put in your podcast. Uh, I want our viewers to know they can download all of the episodes of the podcast and listen to at home or in the car or anywhere Bill, we're going to tell Keith Bilbrey how to get these shows so they can tune in to more than the music 
with Bill Gaither. Bill, thank you for joining us. We love having you around. You're the best storyteller I know. <laughs> Mike, you're very, very kind. And, is, and I can't wait to bring the vocal band back and let you play on our band and do, there's a happy rhythm piece of rocking and rolling. <laughs> I'm ready, Bill. Come on back. You tell us the okay. date you're on. Thank you, my friend. God bless. Well, you can download or stream Bill Gaither's free More Than the Music podcast from your favorite app or just go to gaither.com. You can also find Bill Gaither's music videos, tour schedule, and much, much more all at gaither.com. Next, Daily Events and talk about the importance of bluegrass music in American culture. That's coming up on Huckabee. Welcome back to our show, and boy, do we have a little bit of bright music to come back into it. Well, Jamie Daly and Darren Vincent are known as the rock stars of bluegrass, which is weird in itself, rock stars of bluegrass. But you want proof? How about the fact that they've earned 35 International Bluegrass Music Awards, including three for Entertainers of the Year? And they're proud members of the Grand Ole Opry, and I'm proud to welcome you guys to the show, Darren and Jamie. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Governor. Darren, how, how did you get started with bluegrass music? I'm a fourth-generation music in my family. Uh, my dad grew up with it and his family, and they, they just grew up singing old-time music and uh, string music. And, uh, you know, Bill Monroe yeah. is known as being the father of bluegrass. I think he recorded his first one in 37 or 38, something like that, with his brother, What Would You Give in Exchange for Your Soul? And that was the start of bluegrass music. He heard these ancient tones, as Ricky Skaggs would say. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, we've, we, we didn't know it as anything else except great music, America's music. And uh, that's what Jamie and I try to do today. We just try to do a lot of great. We put bluegrass, country, acapella gospel, all kinds of things in our shows. And uh, we just do what we love to do. Bluegrass sort of captures, though, the soul. It, it's not just the music. It's the lyrics that uh, speak to the poverty, to mm -hmm. the sense of hope as well as desperation. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons it's so appealing to people who have grown up out in the country. This is not an urban kind of music for, for very obvious reasons. Do you, would that be a fair assessment, Darren? I, I do agree with that. Yeah. And, and another thing that I think people like it, uh, it's earthy, rootsy, there's no uh, effects. It's all acoustic instruments, normally a bluegrass, the, the genuine uh, bluegrass is a, a manlian, banjo, fiddle, bass, and guitar. Yeah. yeah. That is your your core. And to see people that's worked really hard to 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 hone their skills and display, and it's almost like a jazz. Uh, it comes from the heart and soul. And, and, and people sing from the heart and soul. And I think that's why that's why it's so identifiable to people because there's no fakeness to it. And Mike, I'd like to add to that. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, bluegrass. It, it, it's had a little bit of a resurgence, you know, in several last several, several years. And not to brag, but I mean, we've been able to play Carnegie Hall three years in a row there. So the first time we went to Carnegie, we were nervous. We were like, you know, these people coming <laughs> yeah. in tuxedos and gowns, <laughs> what's, what's gonna happen here? And they responded heavily. But we found that they responded mostly to the gospel acapellas, the quartet acapellas around one microphone. We stepped out in the middle and did a gospel. 
and it was amazing, the response. We didn't know how Manhattan would react to. <laughs> well, let me say Manhattan needs a little bit more. <laughs> we can go back, that would be great. <laughs> I was gonna tap then. Oh, I just, you, know. <laughs> you guys do like 120 shows a year, which is a lot of dates. Do you still like each other? I oh, mean, yeah, we, we, we honestly do. People ask us a lot, do you guys get into it? We don't. Yeah. Do we have disagreements? Uh, fundamental, absolutely we do. Uh, but at the end of the day, we know we have to make a decision. And at the end of the day, we will go with one or the other. And we don't harbor hard feelings over it or get, you know, a, a grudge. We, we, we move as, a, as one team. You know, people who get your music, I mean, they get such a, a clarity of the, of the music. And I hope that our audience will really get online, download or buy if they want, the, you know, the CD products because it's music that you can listen to over and over and over. It's refreshing. It's pure America. And boy, oh boy, do we need a little of that in our culture today. We have missed the road terribly. And I'll tell you how bad we've missed the road. We've been off three going on three four months. months. Uh, and you get used to the stage lines and the audiences. And the other night I was upstairs, I got thirsty. I walked downstairs to the kitchen, opened up the refrigerator door, saw the light and did a 30 minute show right there in the kitchen. <laughs> That's how bad I've missed it. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Now did the eggs and milk start singing back? I mean, did yeah, they the broccoli, I got rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what really helps us though on the road is uh, we have corporate sponsorship with Springer Mountain Farms mm. Chicken, Gus Arendale. That's right. And they help us to be as comfortable as possible on the road and when you're out, uh, you know, he and I are together almost more than my wife and kids are mm. with us, but we're at over 200 some days. We have a, a great band, and it's it's good to be comfortable on the road, but then when you're refreshed and you see the audiences that come in that want to be entertained and want to hear the music, it really, it's it's fun, and, and you get energized every day, and, and you being a bass player, you know what I'm saying. It's, it's energizing to see the audience. It's therapeutic. Yeah. Hey, before we go, uh, Jamie, I understand, and, and if you can give me a quick answer on this, but your dad just recorded something, didn't he? Yeah, it's he? called uh, uh, Step Back in Time, JB and Jamie Daly. It's dad, he's got Parkinson's disease. Hmm. It's been wonderful to watch someone that has Parkinson's yeah. try really hard to play the dobro again and sing again. I'm hoping that will help inspire other people with Parkinson's, hmm. that it's not over. You can go out, do things, try things, just be patient, and you'll get it done. It's also entered the charts at Billboard, Amazon, and the Bluegrass charts. It's on the top of the charts. So proud of him, 74 years old, never done anything like like that. And where you Great. get it? You can get it at dailyshop.com. That's his website. D-A-I-L-E-Y, dailyshop.com. And we're going to make sure that the audience knows how to get all your stuff, and they're going to want it after uh, you guys perform. <laughs> that is for certain. So glad to have you guys here. This has been fun. Thank you, Thank Governor. you for having Would you come back sometime? Absolutely. Next just have some, just have oh, okay. chicken, bring some chicken sandwiches. We While like this COVID days. thing is going on, hey, we got nowhere else to go. I got it. Well, Daly and Vincent are going to perform in just a moment. But first, our own Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you how you can get more of their wonderful music, which you will want to do. Keith? Well, for the latest on all things Daly and Vincent, go to their website, dailyandvincent.com. And after the show, visit Huckabee.tv for an exclusive encore performance of their hit song, Cumberland River. Coming up next, Daly and Vincent perform I Left My Heart in Tennessee. We'll be back in 60 seconds. And now, here's Daly and Vincent. Red barn roof peeking over a field of yellow. 
Smell the sweet honeysuckle in the air, hear a milk cow bellow. Tennessee walker running by, man, he sure is pretty. I feel sorry for those poor folks stuck a living in the city. I thank God I'm a native son, but I love this place much as anyone. My soul's going to heaven when they bury me. But I leave my heart in Tennessee. Fields don't shine in light. On the hills and pastures Things around here move slow But they're gonna get faster Bulldozing farms and fences In the name of progress Dang those developers They're cold and heartless Cause when that train starts rolling on down that track What it's calling in a coming back This land and Soul's gonna heaven for return. 